Welcome, everybody, once again to episode 10 of Discussing Who. We are back, and all three of us are on board in the same virtual room tonight. Also got a surprise for everyone. But before we get started, I want to go around and do introductions, and I'm going to start first in the good U.S. of A., and I'm going to talk first to the person who hasn't been with us on a live recording, or as live as we get for our studio recordings, Mr. Lee Shackelford. Welcome back, Lee. Hi, guys. Glad to be with you again. It's nice not having to uh, cross our own time streams and uh, have you break in on our conversation like last time. So glad to have you live with us. Thank you. So what state are you in? Are you in Alabama or are you in North Carolina tonight? I'm in North Carolina. The big old North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. I have to say it like the the, uh, actors in uh, the film of 1776. uh. Ah, So say it one more time for us. (laughs) North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay, well, back down here in Mississippi, uh, (laughs) along with me, uh, is our other person that is with us on every single episode, Clarence Brown. Hey, Clarence. Hey, Cal, how is it? How is it going, Lee? Uh, It is very humid down here. (laughs) That it is. Hot and humid. Well, before we get started into the news, we have a very special guest tonight on Discussing Who. So let's take a little trip, dance a little bit over the pond to the big old United Kingdom. And I'm sure this person could talk to us a little bit about maybe what's going on over there. The one, the only, Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Hi, guys. I'm uh, gate crushing. Yes, it's good to be here. <laughs> well, it's nice to not be collecting cultums and shocking pods. And <laughs> now you're going to be discussing who. Ah, good play on words. So <laughs> we, we are excited to have you and I'm glad you were able to join us tonight. Tell us a little bit before we get started. What's what's going on in the big UK this week? Yeah, thanks for taking the world economy, Dave. Uh, well, uh, look, just to put you guys in your place, I've just been talking to a senator, uh, just been talking on a, a different community call. Uh, now, uh, Kaziki, is it Senator Kaziki? K-N-E-Z-E-K from Garden City area. And I was been discussing uh, Brexit, the uh, UK. See, they say that... England and the UK is a, a minor country now, but unfortunately, seismic shocks are going around the world. I think there's a, a rift. I think it's that rift where you charge your TARDIS up. It's uh, <laughs> it's obviously got exposed and it's uh, doing nasty things. But um, I don't want to get too political here. I want to enjoy myself talking no, with no, you guys. No, no, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we want to enjoy our time with you. Lee, you shared some Star Trek information either you or clarence wasn't it you lee last weekend that gave us some information about star trek some changes that they had made oh just that um paramount legal or cbs rather who uh you know they're now that they're uh cbs and paramount are indivisible they've taken the odd stance that i think a lot of uh, your listeners will have already heard about of um, making it damn near impossible for people to make fan films in the star trek universe What it boils down to is the same thing they did, oh, 30 or 40 years ago 
for fanzines uh, when they felt like that was somehow infringing on copyright. And the rule was you can tell your story any way you want to as long as it doesn't have our characters or reference our universe. You can't say Star Trek in the title. You know, it could be recognizably, you know, what it is. You just have to change all the names. And a lot of people did that, but for a lot of people also just gave up and went home. We, we've had the same kerfuffle going on in the Sherlock Holmes world as well until recently. But um, it's, it's an interesting controversy because a lot of people have put an awful lot of money, a tremendous amount of effort and love into making these Star Trek fan films. And then to have the, the official franchise kind of come down on them like, um, well, one doesn't want to say jackbooted thugs, but... <laughs> Okay, jackbooted thugs. Um, there's only been threats so far, but uh, somebody, you know, is is inevitably going to cross the line, and they're going to end up in uh, challenging this in court. Well, yeah, I, I was just going to add, it's, it's such a, a two-edged sword. What are you going to do? Are you going to protect your property, or are you going to allow the culture of fans and enthusiasts that you have out there to build on your property. And like the particular one in particular I had in mind was a movie called Star Trek Renegades. I followed it. They did the whole fan raise money for the property thing. And, you know, they eventually created a movie, but post this uh, rule that they put out, you know, they, they just have removed Star Trek from the name completely. And now they're changing names, like Lee just said, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be weird. And, you know, some companies have been protecting their uh, intellectual properties from the beginning and some have been lax. So are we going to have this backlash of companies just pulling, reining in their properties and uh, basically kill the, the fan fiction universe or the fan property universe yeah. i hope yeah. not punish the people who love the show most for doing doing what they do yeah hang on a minute guys is not the, the one that uh michelle nichols and walter koenig were coming back into that renegades weren't they going to do a yeah i believe they were planning to do a a just a series you know i don't know what their cadence was going to be but they were planning on coming back with a, a series of shows uh and, and they, they were the original people were on board. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's kind of disappointing that, you know, they'll have to pull those elements out. And who knows, maybe they can still make something interesting. But I also look at other Star Trek fan shows that are out there. Um, I think Voyages are one of them. And I can't think of the other one right now. Mm-hmm. But well, Star Trek continues. Yeah. yeah, continues. And these properties put heart and soul into the project. I mean, it's probably easier for for them to do the older or the original series more, but they have it down to a T as far as yeah. sets and, and costumes and everything. And it's just kind of sad to see where this is going. And, you know, if looking at it from the perspective of, and I think it's what you guys said just a minute ago, from the fan perspective, I would think flipping it to the business perspective, as long as you are not doing something not PG or not PG-13 or not even necessarily R-rated, you know, as long as you're being clean and appropriate with the material and with the content and you're doing it in a way that is fan-based and honoring the entire feeling of the you know franchise, I would think as a business you would want your p 
people to go out and do things like that because ultimately the more exposure you have, the more money you're going to get back in because it might bring somebody in. I might say never have watched Star Trek before, watch Star Trek Renegades even if it is you know, a fan-based and decide, oh, well, now let me go to the Apple store and buy or the Amazon store and buy mm-hmm. every single Star Trek series I can find which means Paramount gets money. I just don't get that. Kyle, David Gerald, who, of course, has been with this franchise since 1967, you know, and who I think has got more right than just about anybody else to be weighing in on this, on his uh, Facebook uh, feed the other day, he said exactly what you're saying. He's saying, "I, I don't understand the mindset that wants to punish people for trying to expand the franchise, for actually trying to draw attention to the product during the 50th year of, of the series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, they, they have, it's a, you know, you can't beat the image of, of them just pulling out a gun and pointing it at their own foot. But <laughs> what, you know, what in the world are they thinking? And, and, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, the BBC has, has, has already gone down this path with its fans too, where Doctor Who's concerned, haven't they? They, there, there, there was uh, certainly about uh, three or four years ago when uh, when podcasting was just getting popular and the uh, Who Podcast Alliance was full of all the stories about, um, you know, where where podcasts were having things like just t- T-shirts and they, they were simply using things like the uh, Who font or the TARDIS uh, and being threatened with the um, thing. Now, this wasn't, this was coming more from a marketing department than... Uh, than what you might call the inner circle of Doctor Who. But uh, I think it's... it's, I mean, have these people not heard of viral marketing? Because something like this uh, Renegades, it it gives an upswell of fan uh, warmth. I mean, I I, I don't... I mean, how bad has 2016 been for loss of uh, actors and uh, uh, singers and so on? Uh, so I'm not I'm not trying to say that that we're going to lose these people, but some of them are in the late 70s, early 80s now, and um, this is a, a reprise done by Lover. I can't believe that they're getting paid much for it. They must be doing it out of a sheer uh, love for the thing. Uh, going back to Doctor Who, I mean, um, uh, Liz Sladen, for all the years she wasn't playing her character. Uh, one of the things that Russell T. Davis said is why he wanted to bring her back. Sorry, she could bring this back to Doctor Who, but that's what we do, isn't it? Uh, of course. <laughs> it, before she came back into uh, school reunion, one of the things he said he always wanted her in was because she'd always been a stalwart. She'd always been a, somebody who championed the cause of Doctor Who, not for any paid thing, but sheerly out of the, the, the love of... Uh, the character, the uh, the fan appreciation, and so on and so forth. And uh, because she came and committed to that short thing, what was born of that was the Sarah Jane Adventures. Right. Who knows with this Renegades? I mean, we do have a, a new Star Trek. Perhaps it's to protect this new Star Trek franchise that's starting. Is, that's, is that the reason? That's the theory, at least, yeah. That they're saying, you know, now we've got a really... You know, clean up our own house. We've got to really, you know, uh, I don't know, raise the drawbridges or whatever the image is, because we've got to protect um, this new product that we have out there. You know, I'm sure David Gerald is right. He's saying this is a bunch of 30 year old lawyers who don't know 
the history of this show, they don't know the power of Star Trek fandom, which kept the show from being canceled before it could you know have enough episodes for syndication. You know, these are people who don't know that they don't they don't understand Star Trek fans, and they're they're seeing them as a threat, and it's it's moronic. Well, it, it, you know, it goes back to the old saying of it's not what you say, but how you say it. And, you know, I can, you know, someone can tell me, look, we, we're just trying to do exactly what you just said, Lee, but you can say it in a way to where we as a podcast are not discussing it because you did it the wrong way. Also in the news, I do know that Filming in the UK for Doctor Who Series 10, which, of course, won't be around until 2017. And I say that with a little bit of emphasis because I still am not happy that it won't be until 2017. Well, so, who is? Yeah, exactly. But it has started, and I'm excited about that. Uh, unless anybody else has anything in the news, feel free to share it. If not, let's jump into our topics that we have for tonight. So, Mush uh, or mush. Oh, 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 I've got one. Okay, go for it. Adric returns to the TARDIS 2017. Big That's finish. That's true, yes. Yes, I'd forgotten about that. I actually saw a picture online the other day, and it was he, Tegan, Nyssa, and the Fifth Doctor in a picture. So I thought that was really cool. Right, This uh, the information I saw was on DoctorWhoNews.net uh, on the Wednesday the 15th of June. Ah, okay. And, uh, and exactly all those... Uh, New adventures, so great, and they look a very, very delighted, happy bunch. And uh, I think Ad Adric's uh, uh, getting somewhat uh, Matthew Waterhouse, as I should say, is getting a little bit more love from the uh, Doctor Who community. Yes. Do Do we have any idea of what the story is going to be? Or uh, uh, I, I'm just curious because I, I was at the Gallifrey. Uh, Gallifrey won the year that um, he and Janet Fielding and uh, Sarah Sutton were all there. And I was struck by the fact that Sarah Sutton still sort of looks and sounds the same. And Janet Fielding still sort of looks and sounds the same. And Matthew Waterhouse is, of course, 40 years older. You know, right. uh, <laughs> 30 years older. Well, let me ask you this. How old was he when Adric was you know, on the show? I mean, was he under 18 or how old was he? Good question, but uh, but yeah, he was a kid, and he's just not a kid anymore. He's 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 a he's a guy, you know, he's my age, and uh, you know, spoilers. The character died, so I'm wondering <laughs> how how are we going to uh, how are we going to explain the fact that he's older? Now? That, uh, it's interesting. Well, well, he's going towards the planet, and then this bird, like a raven, ah. flies, in, flies into the <laughs> no, the great eagle Guahir. In, yeah, yeah. Who knows? That's right. It's not like we saw him die, did we? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it says the new trilogy begins with begins with Doctor Who: The Star Men by Andrew Smith, and then it continues with Doctor Who: The Contingency Club, and then uh, Doctor Who: Zaltius or something, uh, Z A L Y S. So it's a trilogy, three stories, if my counting is correct. Interesting. All right, so for our main discussion tonight, what we're going to do is talk about changes in characters. Lee, I know you are adept in literature, and I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, 
that back in the early days of the stage, you had women, well, you actually didn't have women on stage. Is that, isn't that correct? You had women playing, um, well, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself, so don't answer that question yet. Um, <laughs> because well, you're blaming me for this. No, no be, be, because uh, what we're actually talking about, we're going to break down into three or four segments, and we're going to talk about characters either in movies, comics, or any other medium that comes up. But what we're going to do is break it down into age, race, sex, and sexual orientation. And what we're going to spin off of this is if you change a race of a character, does it change that character? Do If you change the sex of that character, does it change the character, then age, as well as sexual orientation? So we're going to go through each four of those. Let's go back to my question that I was asking Lee, which was back in the Shakespeare times or even times after that, you did not have women on stage. You had men playing all roles. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. There, in, um, in ancient days, uh, women weren't even allowed in the audience. So um, we have the French to thank for that. Thank you. Thank you, France, for finally having women playing women's roles. But yes, all the great Juliets of Shakespeare's day, all the great Lady Macbeths, they were all boys. I, I, I'm glad you clarified that. I think that's worth doing because, um, I mean, one of the uh, the things that people used to think was in uh, sailing ships of that time, that, uh, you know, it was bad luck to have a woman on a boat, and you always see that in films. But that's apparently right. in, in sailing ships those days, they often had women in the boats, uh, smuggled in, they were doing the cooking, they were offering other services, and uh, they were often on those uh, boats on voyages. So right. you can't always assume that what you 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 thought was true is true. But uh, uh, I don't know how they did with the beards, but there they go. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to direct this uh, question here to Clarence. As in a general question, Clarence. Does the character's age matter? If you change the character's age, does it essentially, in your opinion, change the character? Definitely, it shouldn't. But you think about the new Doctor Who and and how they made him way younger, in my opinion, <laughs> than he was in past times. It, that definitely kind of seems to have changed the character a bit, though I don't know the you know the older shows as much as I do the newer shows, so maybe it'd be a better thing to throw that in you guys' corner and and see what you think about that. Did did it change the character for you, or is it more of the same? All right. Well, uh, I want to hear from, if you don't mind, Lee. I want to hear from Dave on that because you were watching when those original changes happened. You know, speaking of the Doctor, you know how how was that perceived? originally first you know not like second hand but first hand how was that perceived the actual main one where it actually uh, impacted on the fans i would suppose was the fifth doctor with peter davidson who was about 29 and uh, uh, was at the time the youngest actor to play the doctor but uh, remember that um, the actor's age and the character's age are two different things of course we uh, from William Hartnell, we believe he was about 700 years old, uh, although we have thoughts with the second Doctor being 500 years old. But in actual fact, William Hartnell uh, was uh, playing 
the doctor embodied as a, a man in his late 60s early 70s when the actor himself was about 53 so the the actor who is actually uh, given the job doesn't necessarily play the 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 character in their own age so that's a, an extra dimension to it. it it doesn't automatically follow that if you have a a 40 year old actor playing the part they're going to you know be I mean, actors do have these skills. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, Peter Davidson brought a lot of energy, but it was overshadowed. I don't think people were too concerned about the youngness of him because one of the other things that overrode that in fan talk was the fact that the TARDIS was getting overcrowded because we had, uh, was it four companions? Four companions, uh, you're right. So... Um, that became a talking point to that. And, and also, um, they always used to say uh, about Westerns, TV Westerns, they were never about what life was like in the times of the West. They always reflected the times they were made in. I mean, you can watch Sorry. a Western movie. If you watch one from the 70s, completely different to watching something like The Unforgiven made in the years 2000 or late 1990s, completely different atmosphere in the way people are portrayed, the morals, the mores, the, uh, uh, the vernacular, the speech, uh, everything. I, I, I'm an amateur here with uh, Lee in the room. but uh, so, that, so there's that, to me, I think that's an extra layer. The age of the actor, the age of the character they're uh, portraying, and also, there's actually the uh, the decade. I mean, of course, the Doctor has all those variables, all those balls are up in the air because the Doctor does have that ability as well uh, to blend in and go back to the first Doctor uh, uh, in the Aztec story where, where they try... Uh, one of the things that Barbara was such a good companion was because although she was a teacher uh, and they made a great foil to having Susan with Ian and Barbara, Ian was uh, uh, more and more cast to be the, the younger hero, in actual fact he was supposed to be a, a, a very strong fatherly figure in a sense uh, you know being a responsible teacher but through the storylines he had to become more and more the, the, the hero the Doctor playing a, a more infirm age meant that he had to be, you know, the brains of the thing. And, of course, Barbara had all the knowledge. Susan had the unworldliness and all the teenage angst. And, and remember, the actress who was playing uh, Susan was uh, uh, quite a few years older. Um, I was listening to a documentary where Peter Purse was talking about how um, he used to uh, admonish the young girl because she'd like to drink champagne uh, between the... <laughs> I, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing that, my dear. Thinking she was 17, and she was about 25, I think. At the time. Right. <laughs> uh, and when she was spending her money, she'd come in every time and they'd come to record and everything. Are those new clothes? You ought to be saving up, young lady, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Peter Purves is a, a, a great uh, uh, talk about that. Well, Lee, I want to jump in and get on uh, a comment you made uh, regarding Sherlock. Could you say young Moriarty? Elaborate a little bit on that. 
Yeah, the the canonical Sherlock Holmes uh, is is one of those uh, fixed points in time, right? We 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 there are things that we know about Sherlock Holmes. Even if you don't know all the stories, you know who his nemesis is, and it's Professor Moriarty. And if you know the stories and you know most of the films, Moriarty is a lot older than Sherlock Holmes is, and, and so there's this Holmes having to sort of look up at this guy who ought to be in a respectable place in society. He ought to be somebody that you can look up to, but he's not. He's he's using his his intellect and his years of wisdom for evil. And, and I think that's part of the dynamic of Holmes and Moriarty. It's something that Nicholas Meyer explores in uh, The 7% Solution, for example. Um, that it, It's about Holmes sort of um, having to look up socially and across the, the timeline to somebody who's been, around, who's been around longer than he has. BBC's Sherlock makes them contemporaries, which is sexy in a way, and there's a lot of fan fiction about that. Um, <laughs> but <No doubt>. <laughs> um, uh, but it, my immediate knee-jerk response as a Sherlockian was, oh, he's too young. And, of course, they never called him Professor Moriarty. He, he's, he's Moriarty. So he, he, is, he is seen as Sherlock's equal because he is his intellectual equal. But this always surprised me because as great devotees of the canon, as, as Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss are, that they chose to change this. They changed this dynamic by making Moriarty a lot younger. And it's, you know... I, I'm not saying that they they ruined it or you know they, they they've broken the Holmes Moriarty paradigm, but um but they've but they've chosen something that is different. It does matter how old Moriarty is. It does. So um, it does go back to our overall question that we're asking in this particular episode, which is, do these things matter? And you know, yes, they were making it contemporary, but like you said, for the diehard fan. Yes, it does matter. You know, someone yeah. who's never seen it before might not matter. But well, it matters in the sense that it's a different Moriarty. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, uh, if you've ever watched the Jeremy Brett uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, the Moriarty they had in there was played by Eric Porter. Eric Porter, yeah. Uh, who, to me, is the best. Uh, one of my problems with the, uh, the the recent Moriarty, the young one, is to me they went down the same path as they did with the master in Doctor Who. They made him... Uh, not uh, a very intellectual but morally corrupt person. Yes, they yes. They, they made him somebody who was basically insane, which to me took away the sheer spider's web, you know, because the mm-hmm. whole thing about Moriarty, again, I'll defer to Lee on this, is uh, he, he never... Never touched the actual act. He, he he had his people do things for him, and he always kept in the distance. And it was only Sherlock Holmes' brilliant mind that could infer that these uh, unrelated aspects could only mean that one magnificent mind was behind it. Uh, where the police didn't even know that these things were related, Sherlock Holmes would 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 do that. All I can do is agree with you. You're exactly right. And you know, I had not. It's been a long time since I've thought about these things in the same way. And this is, we have to lay this on uh, Stephen Moffat again, is that I don't understand why he he believes that making a villain crazy makes them more interesting. Because I check out the minute I see that the master or Marty Arty are just <laughs> nuts. You know, that, being insane is not interesting to me. That, just yeah. as Zack Snyder decided that yeah, uh, he needed to be crazy, uh, Luther needed to be crazy in Superman versus yeah. Batman. 
That's right, yeah. You know, he couldn't just be smart, not yeah. a bumbling idiot uh, like oh. it was in the movie. What I think was very clever in the TV series Smallville was you had two Luthers. You had the old and the young. Yes. Uh, you had Lex and his father. Now, that was great because uh, it gave Luther... Uh, Lex Luthor, you c- c- obviously, he's got to keep his plans secret, but then you've got his father and his father being... You know what Luther's basically wants to be Superman's friend in the beginning, doesn't he? And the, the, this this wedge is drawn between them. Uh, and I mean, how many people? I mean, I know you're all young guys here, but sh- <laughs> surely sometimes look in the mirror and think I'm turning into my dad. And that was <laughs> no, I do that too. Happening. I'm already doing that. So <laughs> yeah, me too, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of what... speaking of old. Old man, I want to jump to uh, comic books, and there's a there's a reason I'm saying old man. In in the current X Men comic, the traditional Wolverine, as I will call him, and the traditional Jean Grey are both dead in the comics. But in the current published this week X Men comic book, there are a, a version of Wolverine. There are or there is a version of Jean Grey. There's Old Man Logan, which is a version of Wolverine in his, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, how old, you know, you want to have him be. I know he's a lot older than that. There's also a teenage Jean Grey, time displaced to the present. Again, does the age matter when you bring, you know, this isn't, this is Storm who's a mature Storm side by side with an old man that is Logan and his character is not Wolverine, it's Old Man Logan, and you've got Jean Grey still learning how to use her powers as a teenager. As a comic arc or as a story, and I I know, Clarence, you're more into comics, so I'll put this in your direction. In your opinion, does that matter when they try to change the dynamic to that degree? You know, I think in large part, and and this really just applies to all of these categories we're going, going to talk about, but... I think in large part the changes in age, especially in comics and the movies, is largely due to catering to a particular audience. Doing something different for the audience as well as maybe catering to a whole different audience. We see the uh, X-Men movies. We went back all the way to the beginning and we have the young versions of everybody. Is, are we doing that for story's sake or are we doing it to try to pull in a different audience that... Uh, and, and maybe at the same time show a different side of these characters that we've never seen before. Okay. So I'm going to ask your question, or I'm going to answer your question by putting us into our next topic, which is the race of the character. You said putting them in a way that they've never been before. What if you changed, like in the comics back in the 70s, you changed Green Lantern. You had Hal Jordan be replaced by John Stewart. In the 80s, you had James Rhodes replace Tony Stark in the Iron Man armor. This was before becoming War Machine. In your opinion, does race, if you change the race of the character, does that matter? You know, I think it's, it's in, in the cases you just mentioned, it's totally different things. I think if you have a character from a different, or a a character in a book that's a different race step in as that character, I think it's okay maybe almost 100% of the time. But you're always going to run into controversy when you actually 
change the race. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I think those are totally different things, and I can see reasons for or against it in a lot of instances because it could lead to a character having a totally different background depending on where he is and what they're doing. You know. All right. So let me ask this, and and I'm opening this to the floor for anybody. Is there a difference between saying that you have an African-American additional Green Lantern than saying, well, in the new Black Panther movie, we're going to cast a white actor as opposed to an African-American actor? Does that change the basis of the character? Yeah, 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 big time. Yeah, a, a, a white T'Challa would just be offensive. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're talking about, uh, I don't know how, how long ago this was, but they're making a film about Rumi, you know, the, the great you know, uh, poet of the Middle East with Leo DiCaprio. You say what? <laughs> Leo DiCaprio as Rumi? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, it's, well, well, isn't Joseph Fiennes still supposed to play Michael Jackson at some point here in the near future? Joseph Fiennes? <laughs> I, you know, no, that's that's just offensive. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I think you're right, Lee. I think it's more egregious in in a movie role, regardless if we've ever seen this character or not in a movie role. If somebody of a different race comes in and plays that character, uh, it, it's a bit more offensive than versus a comic book hero or or um, or, or general media. You know? It's it's so in your face when it's on the screen, I guess. <laughs> But, you know, there were, I'm sure you remember this, that when the first uh, Thor movie was made or the first time we went to Asgard, that there were certain white supremacists who were very interested in going to this this Norse wonderland. And when they saw that the first person they saw was Idris Elba. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) I I would like to have sort of been in a a room full of those guys. But, um, but yeah, I mean... is that okay? Is that okay for Idris Elba to be Heimdall? I mean, I, that's never what he looked like in the comics. But but again, is there something, and I answer that question, is there something central in the character's background that would make yes. you say, no, there's not? For instance, with T'Challa. T'Challa is the prince of an African nation. That Now, now if they would have said he was the prince of south africa then i could say that you could go maybe either way i might could wrap my head around dutch you know he might he might he might have dutch ancestry you know i i could i could it would you know Mm. it would be hard to make that work but i might could rationalize it but the but with heimdall there's nothing in my opinion that says no he can't be well i remember the director at this at the time saying they're 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 as guardians for all we know they're purple (laughs) (laughs) i think sometimes as well the the actual especially if it's we're not talking comics but um where it's a a tv series of film the actual uh time placement because uh, often they'll they'll redo a story and they'll set it uh, i mean like james bond i mean james bond really belongs in the cold war era so if 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 you were bringing James Bond and you uh, you were you were putting it in that time zone, would would you have a black James Bond at that time? Maybe you wouldn't pick that, not because of any uh, outrage, but you know the whole point about 
in me in the British spies that he would be able to blend in and mix with all the different circles and so on and right. so forth. And whatever whatever your belief is, the rights or wrongs about that, uh, appalling in other words, the, the point is he would not have got into some of those, you know, casinos and this, that, and the other. You just, but if you, if you're saying, right, we're doing James Bond, it's set in current times, then Edris Elba, oh, let's give this man a career. You know, he's mm-hmm. not doing too well at the moment, but <laughs> he could be James Bond now. But yeah. people's latitude has opened up on things like that. Uh, I had um, uh, one disagreement with Ian a long time. Well, not disagreement. Um, uh, and Ian was the the one that was in the right, so that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, and that was you when, the, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, no, when the TV series Merlin was on uh, TV, which I hope you're all familiar with, um, uh, with Colin Morgan, uh, of course, was in Twilight, um, uh, Doctor Who episode Twilight, uh, Bradley James, who James playing uh, the main character, but they had uh, Angle uh, Angel Colby who is fantastic in, as Lee will tell you, Dancing in the Dark. That's true. <laughs> uh, just one of my little recommendations there. Uh, and, uh, Anthony Head was in this as well, of course, who played uh, in the, uh, the school. Yeah. But um, there was an awful lot of thought about whether uh, Angel Colby was the correct person to play her character, you know, the love interest of... Uh, Badly James. Now, I wasn't actually going on the race, uh, but it may have come across that. I, I said, and, and to the actress, if she's listening, I didn't think she was pretty enough because she, <laughs> she, she was basically playing an ordinary girl in the village and, and he falls in love with her uh, on that basis. But there were quite a lot of commentators who were saying, well, you know, she should be some princess from afar that he falls in love with and he mounts his steed and goes out to the forest. Because as we all know on Merlin, one week was in the castle, next week was in the forest, then it was in the castle, then it was in the forest. But each time, um, I just didn't feel as though the casting of her Guinevere at the beginning was a suitable casting. As it turned out, she was uh, eminently suitable and uh, she played the part really uh, well. Kate McGrath, by the way, played uh, Morgana Pendragon. In conventional casting, you might have made her the person that was the thing. So, um, slightly at a tangent from race, but um, I think with these things, you you notice, if you don't notice them, it's probably the quality of the acting uh, is where I'm in a roundabout way getting Mm. to it. And in Mm. a perverse way, saying that Ian might have been right at one time, once only, a small time. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll throw in... Uh, <laughs> that was the only time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good way to put that. I'll, th- I'll throw in also, um, you know, I'd, I'd put in our comments about uh, would, would that be any different from an African-American actor being cast as Johnny Storm? Now, even though the movie was horribly edited and I could only watch but about 45 minutes of it, I did see enough to where they explained it in story that one of the, I believe, Sue was adopted. And, you know, the way they explained it in story said, okay, I could go with this. I didn't have to have them being of the same mother and father. You know, you could change it 
and it still be okay. However, let's go into our next topic. Well, with, well, go I, ahead. Can I, can I mention just one more example sure. real quick? Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the, 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 the new movie that's coming, well, they're filming right now, I guess, uh, the Ghost in the Shell movie with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, uh-huh. yes. Uh, I mean, there's a big hour about this because he's a, a, a white woman playing, a, I guess, a Japanese character. And to me, this is one of those things where this is we're talking about a cyborg character in the future setting do we know that she's actually japanese have we seen it in the movie i mean in the show i'm not familiar enough with the show to tell you that but i i do see this just another good example of where we're bringing a property over from from a foreign land and we're trying to adapt it to our audience was this the right choice again i i, I don't know <laughs> all right let me ask you a question, Clarence, and this is a follow-up to a comment I made in Episode 9 when we were talking about X-Men Apocalypse. My question to you is this. Should the character Psylocke, should she be cast as a British actress, or should she be cast with an Asian actress? You know, again, I think uh, well, a lot of these questions, it comes down to audience. I had no idea who that character was other than you t- talking about her. So it made no difference to me. But I'm sure there's an avid fan base out there that the fact that the character is not British kind of just ticks them off. <laughs> and I can understand why possibly, you know, it, it does change the character. But what and, and, and I asked that question for a very specific reason, because I I'm commenting on what I said about Johnny Storm, of how, how they explained it in, within the movie. Within the story of Psylocke in the comic, she is actually the, the brain patterns or whatever of Betsy Braddock, who is a British woman, is transferred and merged with a basically comatose Asian woman's body. And then now Betsy has an Asian body. So this actually happened in the comic. So within the oh, okay. so within the story. So yes, there are there are fans. To back to to what you were saying, there are fans who prefer the because her powers changed a little bit. She and of course her look changed. But you know there are people who prefer the original version of Psylocke. There are people, of course, who prefer the the version of Psylocke that was on you know, the X-Men Apocalypse movie. But the essence, the character, even though the race of the character or the ethnicity of the character changed, that's still Betsy Braddock, regardless of how you, you know, she may look outwardly. It's kind of like the doctor, that's still the doctor, no matter how he looks, that's still Betsy, no matter what her race might be. Luckily, one thing that now, when people are casting at least, um, there are... uh, actors from all all nations and all uh, uh, creeds and colours that you can get because yeah. one of the things that go way, going way back to Doctor Who is the uh, <laughs> Talons of Wei Chiang. <laughs> I when, was hoping you were going to bring Talons up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that of course is when they had a, an English actor uh, playing uh, Wei Chiang uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Michael Spice is it? Michael Spice yeah and, and, and uh, there are Asian actors playing Asians in Talents of Wing Chang, but not the principal role. Mm. But but yeah, I think this may be exactly what you're talking about. Is what was there a huge casting pool available to play that role? You know, at the BBC in a hurry at that time, 
or wasn't it just easier to grab one of the actors that they know and work on his eyes a little yeah. bit of makeup? Yeah, it's like, yeah. And so they, they went cheap and easy. And so 40 years later, that reads really, uh, really kind of embarrassing. But well, I didn't want us to get away from talking about race without bringing up uh, Hermione Granger. Who uh, you know, there's now the stage play of the of the uh, this mm. takes place in the Harry Potter universe, and uh, Hermione is emphatically black. This is when she's a mother, isn't it? This is in the uh, the 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 something child. Is that what we're talking yes. about? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. and this is all approved by uh, J.K. Rowling. And uh, if you're not following J.K. Rowling on Twitter, you gotta because nobody does more beautiful nobody works more beautifully with 140 characters than jk rowling <laughs> but but a lot of people were we're getting a little up in arms about this it, it, I mean, it just illustrates the point we're talking about here people saying hermione's not black and jk rowling said um well here's what we know about her canonically if you'll read the books her hair is kinky her eyes are brown and she's smarter than you there you go well said <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, so let me ask uh, you this. Mic drop. Uh, yeah. Uh, sort of like, and, and you know, I, I, I'm stuck on this. It's sort of like that same mic drop that Lee gave us when uh, he walked out and was talking about uh, Superman versus Batman. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Clarence. I've just got to keep going on that one. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So let, so let's switch to another upcoming Marvel movie. Something that Lee actually brought to our attention, and I want to add in another female character that has uh, changed. So let me ask you this. We've talked about the age differentials. We've talked about changes in race. What if you changed the the sex of the character? And obviously we can talk about Missy in just a minute, but, but Lee, you brought yeah. up the ancient one from Doctor Strange or the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. Well, it's, I, I almost feel like we should save this for last because it's the trifecta. The, the ancient one, for all of us who grew up reading Doctor Strange in the comics, is a very, very, very old, it's in his name, <laughs> man, <laughs> Asian man. He is indisputably Asian. He is indisputably ancient. And he's going to be played by Tilda Swinton. Wait, huh. What? Because <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's younger than I am, which means she's young. She's a young woman. She's a young woman from England. So it's... so. Kudos for making the ancient one a woman. Yeah. Mm. Progressive, cool idea. Or or no. No, because it's supposed to be an old man. And it's supposed to be Asian. You can't have Tilda Swinton play. But I'm not sure how to feel about this one. I love the fact that this, this important role has been given to a woman. But we there are you telling me that there's no older Asian women in Hollywood? In the business, Tilda Swinton. I I know (laughs) a perfect older Asian actress that has recently been in a Marvel franchise on Netflix. And I'm not sure her her character, Clarence, I know you've watched the Netflix Daredevil. But there was a character that was in, like I said, the first season of Daredevil, who would have been perfect if you wanted to go that route. The first season? Yeah, the first season. She was one of the kingpins, not henchmen, but but she had the she was blind and she was blinding everybody that worked for her. Oh man, it's been so long since I've seen this. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um that's gotta be uh uh Wai Ching Ho. Um as Madame Gao. Yeah, ma- yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. 
Sure, yeah, yeah. Why, why not Wai Ching Ho? Why not her? Oh, yeah. So what about if, not, not in the movies, but what about in the comics, if Thor were a woman? Or a frog, or... <laughs> as, as he briefly was, you may remember. <laughs> yeah, Thor frog, I, I, I remember mean, that. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, if he can be a frog, you're telling me he can't be a woman? When... When we were trying to launch uh, Herlock, in fact, uh, my wife, I thought, made the perfect observation that um, she had seen uh, the great mouse detective, you know, and she had seen, uh, you know, some a number of other things. And she her question was, wait a minute, Sherlock Holmes can be a mouse and he can be a cartoon character, but he can't be a woman. Kind of put your finger right on it there. <laughs> uh, so in the comics, Thor, just by the way, is a woman now. Is it is currently and has been for some time. Yeah. So, so it, again, I have a question for you guys: Is that a change of somebody else stepping in the role of Thor, or they totally rewrite the character that she is just a woman? Good, 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 good question. And the answer to that is, and spoilers if you haven't already found out who the identity of Thor is now, that is actually not Thor Odinson, as as he is now called. He actually lost uh, the ability to pick up the hammer. He lost the ability to command the heavens and the lightning and the rain and all the stuff that Thor can do. And the hammer went to someone more worthy who was the nurse that was uh, played by Natalie Portman. I can't remember her name right off. Jane Foster. Jane Foster. Thank you. So Jane Foster is now Thor. And interestingly enough, she's dying uh, in the comic. And, but when she becomes Thor, She's not. So so that's that's quite interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a bit more controversial when you just change the character completely. But when you kind of cleverly write it into the story that, you know, someone is taking his mantle up, I think it's a little more acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, just just for instance, we have a movie coming out soon or it, it may be out now the, the the female version of Ghostbusters, you know. Right. Uh, very, very, again, very controversial, but but we don't, we aren't changing these characters. We're kind of just handing it off to a new set of characters. And I think maybe we may even have cameos from the older, uh, for the other uh, Ghostbusters. So, I mean, again, it, it, with all these, um, these, these topics, it depends on how it happens and what is the fundamental nature of that character. So, guys, can uh, the doctor be a woman? <laughs> <laughs> Most certainly. If if the master can be a woman, the doctor can be a woman. I'm waiting to hear it from Dave. Uh, could be, I should be. Uh, uh, should think, uh, should the doctor be a woman? From, isn't it time? For me, I'm I'm, I'm sure Maj, yeah. One of the things that made me um, be a little concerned of the master becoming Missy was not that in of itself. It was a, a step too far, but to me, it mm. seemed to be a stepping stone to what I may consider to be too far. Uh, but <laughs> that, 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 you could see it coming. Yeah. yeah um, uh, and of course, in the in the uh, one of the latest stories where we have uh, uh, the Doctor uh, basically kill another Time Lord, and 
they go, oh, thank goodness I'm back to a woman again. Um, so th- there are lots oh, of that's right. yeah. signposts being uh, plotted in it. But um, perhaps I'm too traditional, maybe because it, it's too complicated for my little mind to get around. Because, um, <laughs> because um, I, there, I believe there's something in the internet world called shippers or something, or... Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard something like that. And to me, it gets a little bit all complicated. I mean, when you, I mean, it's hard enough when you know. Do you know whether the um, the the uh, the hero and the villain want to kill each other? I do want to get a room. You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think in the case of the doctor, though, what we have is, at least from my experience with with him, we don't see him having any love interests per se. So. That seems like it leans that character even more to being a different gender, you know, because you don't have those those, those bonds holding holding the character back from, you know, it could still play and act like the same person, but just in a different body, you know. I, I don't, which is kind of what it is anyway. So, <laughs> I yeah, don't know. Quite, yeah, you can't say that, class, because I mean, the the perhaps the assumption of some is if 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 they become a woman, then they'll be overtly sexual all of a sudden, and that doesn't necessarily follow. No, yeah. true, because because then you're going into the question of, and it's funny that we're leading right into our final topic, but uh, you know, you're, it, whatever is on the outer shell does not change the inner shell. So, so it's you know what you guys just said. So let me ask you this: if you have a character that's been around, say, since 1963. And then in 2015, you decide all of a sudden that you're going to reveal this character's sexual orientation from being different from what has always been presented. What are your, what's your thoughts on that? And I've got an example that I'll uh, give, but before we get into the example, what are your thoughts? Anyone? Well, it, it happens in real life. I mean... You know, certainly, certainly okay. in the real world, we we learn that the people have either been keeping this a secret, or you know, or okay. or, or, or hadn't fully realized it themselves. Or do we need to take into account the sort of target audience? Because I mean, although a lot of the science fiction that we talk about is uh, not adult science fiction in the word that meaning of the word adult, but it, it's for people who who are aware and know a little bit about life and so on. Where you're talking about Doctor Who, we're, we're, we're into this sort of, it's not it's not children's science, uh, but it's family. Now, again, what happens in a, in a book and what happens on the screen, well, I mean, what do we say? I mean, is it 8 to 8, 7 to 70, 8 to 80, 9 to 90? You know, uh, with something like Doctor Who, do they have to watch their peccadilloes a little bit more carefully than uh, than than other stuff? Yep, good point, Clarence. Uh, what do you think? And then I'm going to give in to the uh, example that I wanted to use. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, I, I agree with Dave. It, it it depends on the the audience. Kind of makes a difference, and it shouldn't, but. Like, for instance, Jack Harkness, you know, in the Doctor Who world, you got hints of him 
uh, in his orientation. But when you look at Torchwood, you know, it's, it's, you know, there was no holding back. He saw, he saw everything. So I don't know. It, it shouldn't depend on the audience, but I think a lot of the time, a lot of the time it does. So I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, now, what about you, Cal? What do you think well, of the, well, 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 let me give, let me answer that in giving the example that I wanted to give. In the recent X-Men comics and the character, and the reason I gave the years that I did, they revealed that the character of Iceman was gay. But the way they did that was quite interesting because remember at the beginning I was referring to Jean Grey being a younger version of Jean Grey that had been time displaced. Well, not only was Jean Grey, but so too was all the other five original X-Men Cyclops, Beast, Angel, and um, well, Cycl- and Iceman, yes. So you had all five of them being in the present. The younger Iceman came out and said, you know, I'm gay. And the f- older Iceman, it took about six or eight months in storyline for the character to accept to himself so he actually came his older version actually came out to his younger version which was a very weirdly interesting scene because it was gene it was older bobby and younger bobby all talking together bobby basically admits to bobby what the younger bobby had already said so several layers of dynamic but that is brilliant. That very, is, very good writing, I thought. It really is gorgeous, yeah. Hmm. Now, I wasn't aware of that. Now, the uh, opposition to that, the first uh, comic book character that they ever had come out back in the 90s with North Star of Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't change the character, in my opinion, anyway. And I think it may be a little harder in cases where you have characters that have an established identity. It, it may be a little bit harder, but as is life, <laughs> right. it's harder when it happens with, with people who have an established identity. So I, I don't know. I think it's always a hard subject to talk about. And the more that I mean, I think those stories need to be explored. But let's let the essence of the character uh, be what he does, not not let that his orientation define define him. Good point. Yeah. I- uh, what, what I would add is as well this uh, this thing about age, race, sex, and sexual orientation, uh, the, and the boundaries and um, the the uh, fluidity of these things are changing. But maybe that mirrors um, the actual format of well, if movies. I mean, when I first went to the movies, you went to see a comedy, or you went to see a cowboy, or you went to see a detective. Where well, now you might go and see. Uh, what they call them, bromances, or whatever the word is. <laughs> and, this, mm-hmm. and then you see a film that's a, a comedy thriller, or it's a, a science fiction cowboy. Or a, so, so as well as the actual boundaries in terms of definition of characters, the boundaries in the the actual storylines, because... As I say, my day, you know, what sorts of what sorts of comics do you read? Oh, I read horror comics. Well, I like, you know, uh, Western comics uh, or whatever. And people mm-hmm. stuck very firmly to your the genre. And as the genres have opened up, uh, maybe that has led to the to the the characters having a more hmm. flexible presentation to their audience. Um, and I suppose this all starts. With books, I mean, people seem to think that the book 
books are dead, but I think still the uh, most of the direction, uh, and I include in books, by the way, their uh, um, comics and what do you call them in America? Um, we call uh, them comic books, if that's what you're... Yeah, but no, 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 no. I mean, the, the ones that are um, oh, illustrated stories, well, I forget the word... Um, when we say graphic novel. Ah, graphic yes, novels, yes. that's it. That's, <laughs> thank you. That's what I was just So um just does that hit with anybody of the you know, the way yeah, that the boundaries yeah. of the storyline are changing. Yeah. Therefore yeah. you get different fan groups watching and they have uh, expectations outside. They don't just expect, you know, uh these cowboys to go across the de- the the desert on a wagon train for six months and never say, um, how do you do? You know, and um, what's the famous? What was the famous cowboy film that brought um, that storyline out? Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Where again, that was across genres. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I, I think that's a that's a fascinating point. That it's it's a growing sophistication for us as an audience. We 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 blend genres and we blend. Um, that means that we we're we're. Um, more accepting now of more sophisticated characters or character backstories. Very um, good. I, yeah. so, so we've covered all of our segments. So let's, let's you know, um, Dave, I think you did an excellent summary right there. So, Lee, what's, what's well your... Said. Very well said. So, Lee, what's your closing summary? And then, Clarence, I'll go to you, and then I'll give, give my interpretation. I was trying to to uh, spirit my wife, who is the the brilliant social psychologist Karen Del Shankelford, into this conversation because this is exactly the sort of thing that she studies. It what she what she finds in her studies of of um, of, of mass media, including video games, is that it matters to the to the the consumer, to the player, to the reader. It matters tremendously what the race, gender, age of these characters are. Maybe more profoundly than any of us are aware, and uh, I wish I could have uh, talked to her as a, <laughs> coming in here as an expert. But it's also like dropping an anvil on the conversation too. So, well, here's an expert on the subject. But um, okay, so but, here's but, what. No, let yeah. me interject real quick. <laughs> she has an open invitation. So, no, uh, and and this is going out public. So there's no taking it back. She has an open invitation to do some research and bring as a follow-up episode. Mm. She will be our special guest if she no wants to, and the public has heard it. So it's there it's publicly yeah. out there. There's there's no turning back. No now. turning back now. I'm sorry, Karen. I didn't mean to make this happen, <laughs> but. But yeah, but it, but it is fascinating because this is something obviously that interests all of us. I mean, all of the, the four of us. But it, so she and I can just talk about this forever. But it's fascinating to watch the the the, the study that she and her colleagues are doing about oh about video games and how it shapes the way our whole culture understands black men, how it shapes the way we understand women in general our culture. Understand uh, women? I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, or, or misunderstand, I think, is, is really... Did I say understand? <laughs> I misunderstand. Because because the, the depictions are sometimes so completely uh, misguided and and, um, um, and really and really damaging. And, and, that, and so, so, you know, I'm invested. I really... I feel like these things matter. Do, 
does it matter whether or not the ancient one is an old Asian man or it's a young white woman? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but that one's got me baffled because, like I said, I'm so happy that we cast a woman in that role. But, damn it, it's supposed to be an Asian man. Or at least, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that one. <laughs> but, you know... Um, but, the, but these things do matter, and we have to keep asking these questions. We have to keep, wait for it, discussing who is uh, being depicted in these stories. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was very I've been, good. I've been waiting all day to do that, yeah. Yeah, and there wasn't one groan in the house. <laughs> ah, that was good. All right, Clarence, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder when we talk about the, these topics when it relates to established characters. But but hopefully we'll get to the point somewhere in the near future where we see a, a woman in the action role, you know, um, a, 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 somebody of a different race mainlining a, a high budget movie to where we just, you know, that the race, sex, um, age kind of just rolls off of us. And we like we're like, OK, give me a good story now. You know, and that's kind of the point where I want to get to where, you know, I don't care about, you know, it's interesting. You know, your know, race is interesting. Your age is interesting. OK, give me a good story and I'll be happy 100 percent of the time, I guarantee you. And, that, and that's the kind of the, the point I think we should all get to with these things. Oh, amen. Very good. Okay. All right. So so here's here's my closing or here's some of the things that I've identified and I'm using that word identify for a very particular reason. You, you know, when we who grew up in America, we, we grew up with three channels PB and PBS. So basically, if we were lucky, we got four channels. We didn't have all the channels that we have today. So you had a choice of whatever was on one of those up to four channels. Now, we, with the internet, with TV, with 200, 300 channels, however many channels are now available, with podcasts, with all these different types of media, we've got so much that we can ingest mentally, physically, you know, physically watching stuff that we, f I think we find ourselves identifying with what makes us comfortable, whether it's the news, even down to the news, not whether if it's the news, even down to the news, I think even subconsciously, we watch the version of the news that we most identify with. And, you know, we we watch movies that we most identify with, and we take characters that we find a connection to, whether it's the X-Men because they're outsiders, whether it's the Avengers because they're the creme of the crop or the Justice League for, because they're patriotic or whatever you know, label you want to put on them, we go with what is you know, our identification of what makes us comfortable. Now, flipping that, I noticed something that all of you said in some fashion in your summary, but something that we also said as we went through each individual topic, and that common thread was this. It goes back to the story that you're telling and how well you tell it. And if you tell a good story that is good regardless, let's take Game of Thrones for a minute. 
people are talking over and over and over and over about the season finale of Game of Thrones because it was well acted and well written. I don't think people would have cared what race Jon Snow was as long as the story was good and it was well acted. So that's that's something that I found very interesting in in looking at what we were talking about, going through these things. It seemed like we all had that common thing of just tell us a good story and the rest is going to fall into place. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, on a very smaller part of that is that, um, and Lee, I don't know, you probably don't want to go into it now, but, you know, people do have had an idea like this in the past where they called it casting against type which was a, for a different reason. Uh, and one example that I wanted to mention that uh, was to do with the age of that, if you ever watched a TV series called Highlander, which I loved with Adrian Paul, uh, they had um, an old um, immortal called Mythos. Um, but the actor who played Mythos was uh, a, a youngish hip in the moment, in the now, accepted the world, you know, drank coffee, did this, and, uh, you know, spouted um, uh, very sort of ordinary platitudes. No no, no feeling of the weight of 2,000 years that he'd lived on more. That he only remembered the last 2,000 years. He was one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, and yet the actor that they had uh, play him, because uh, he was also, well, I won't say anything just in case people have seen it, but uh, he was cast against type, but in this way, that was how he was able to hide in plain sight. So there, oh, there, are, yeah. there are story reasons sometimes for, for the casting against type, other than the fact of pushing people's acceptance boundaries <laughs> or, or whatever. Why did you pick that example? <laughs> because in the film, you know, of course, uh, Duncan MacLeod is played by an actor who's Belgian. And then his, his mentor, who's Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, is played by Scot Sean Connery. Scottish, <laughs> Scottish, play, Scottish playing a Spaniard, so, yeah. Exactly. So as if to make the point. Now, <laughs> and it's one of the most, yeah, we, we forgot nationality as one of our uh, things to talk about. was Can you, can you have a, a Scotsman? Credibly playing someone named one such as Villa Lobos. <laughs> Good way to put it. <laughs> but you know, but but that in the in movies that gets into the whole thing that the way I grew up is that I know what um, if I was to to hop in the TARDIS and go back to ancient Rome, I know that I would understand everybody because they would all have um, BBC British accents. <laughs> Universal translator spoke. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, it's just that that's been her and everything else that I grew up with. I mean, that's, you know, the, uh, I guess the Romans there all, all sounded like um, James Mason, but anyway. Oh, wait, I just realized something wrong franchise, not Universal Translator, uh, TARDIS Translation Matrix. Sorry. <laughs> crossing uh, no, crossing you, you over. You crossed the streams. Exactly. That's, that's three franchises. Here. All right, so uh, now that we're crossing streams, let's cross into the closing because uh, I think we've pretty much carried over this topic. So, Dave, I know something is coming up a little bit special in July, which in the States, probably by now, it is already 
in the UK July the 1st, but it's still over here, uh, you know, it's a different day. So that's kind of cool. You're on a different day than we are. <laughs> so what's coming up in July? I think there's some. Month. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what's coming up in July that you would like to tell us about? Well, I hate to say this in front of these young upstarts, but uh, the uh, Colton <laughs> Collective will be celebrating seven years of uh, being uh, producing similar quality stuff as you've just heard today. And that is uh, on the 24th of July, we'll be having our monthly gathering, which will be uh, an episode which will be in actual fact our um, what, 566th episode. Wow. Holy smoke. Uh, 41 days of continuous content. So you'd have to listen to 41 days of us, 24 hours a day, to listen to every episode that we did. Uh, but we and we think you should. Yeah. And we started on the 22nd of July, 2009. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. And, of course, any breaking news, whether there's any more news about uh, filming of the new series of Doctor Who, whether there's any more information about the new series class and other uh, sci-fi related stuff. Well, good deal. Excellent. Well, you know, we will also have, uh, anyone listening, we will have a special congratulations on seven years episode with dave as well as ian they're both coming on i'm going to do some interviews sit down one-on-one with both of them and that'll be coming up in a future episode that will hopefully be out about the same time or right around the time of your anniversary so we're going to get that done before then but lee what else is going on with you since I um, mentioned uh, my wife earlier, it dawned on me that um, I think a lot of your listeners might really enjoy reading uh, one of her books, which is called How Fantasy Becomes Reality. Just Google it. What's it called again? Say that. Called I missed that. How Fantasy Becomes Reality by Karen <laughs> Gill Shackelford. The subtitle is Information and Entertainment Media in Everyday Life. And, um, it, you know, even if, um, even if I wasn't married to her, I'd tell you this is a great book about um, about how we as real people understand and interact with the things that we see on in TV and movies and in video games. Um, she is one of the you know the leading people out there um, kind of trying to understand this and I just never found anybody who explains it better than she does. How fantasy becomes reality you know uh, look for it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble you'll find it and uh, I, I think you really like it. I will go one step further. Go to our blog on DiscussingWho.com, and we'll have links to all the places you can find out more information. And before I wrap, Clarence, what else are you working on? Uh, yeah, just a few things real quick. Uh, I've been watching Voltron on Netflix, and there's a particular thing about a character, one of the uh, Palatins, the pilots on that show that is closely related to the conversation we had today and it shocked mm. me to no end when I found that out because I had no idea right. and it's closely close related to what we talked about today so think about that uh, right. as you watch. so tell me this what episode is it because I've watched the first episode uh, this this happens probably the sixth episode in when we find this this reveal okay uh, but don't quote me on that. All right, all right good deal, because now you've enticed me to go in and watch more. <laughs> and also, with 
push people to my my website, IamClarence.com. I have a repost of an interview I did uh, with the guy in 2012. The title of the episode is Halo Wars, A True Story. And it talks about this kind of offensive, egregious culture we kind of have on the Internet and when it carries over into real life uh, situations. And it's kind of the results of that happening to this particular person. So it's it's, it's a it's an audio interview. So I check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. But other than that, I have nothing. Just uh, just glad to be on the show. And it's good to be on with Dave. Good deal. Yeah, I did uh, the proverbial before we got started. I didn't introduce the two of them. So, you know, yes, it's actually, Dave, I want to wrap by saying it's been great having you on. You know, uh, I, you're welcome back anytime. It was, it was a blast having you on. And I can't wait to do the Cultum Collective interviews. And just, again, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And the, uh, discussing who's a great addition and of course uh, yeah, I've now seen that you've joined the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance page so that's it, another place people can catch you. Absolutely. Well, you know, for anyone that's listening we've had one gentleman already send us some feedback so if you want to send us feedback you can do so by sending it to discussingwho at gmail.com you can send it in writing we will read it on the show uh, but if you would like to send an audio please do so, you can do it on your smartphone, send it to us email it to us, discussingwho at gmail.com follow us on Facebook and also on Twitter. On Facebook, we have a page as well as a group. So look us up, Discussing Who, and you can find us, like I said, on the web. And gentlemen, unless there is anything else from any of you, I think as our ending usually goes, we are out of here. You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you.